That's the point is that, yeah, you can say I was able to quit much earlier as well, but to really feel yourself comfortable, you probably say, hey, let me feel this out for another year or so, you know? What's going on, guys? This is the Passive Wealth Strategy Show. Thank you for tuning in. Today, our guest is Sakar Kaula. Today, you know, we're getting such an inspiring story, okay? Because Sakar was a busy professional, started investing in real estate, and worked really, really hard for a few years to build up a fantastic portfolio. And today, and he eventually retired from his job, right? And then now he's doing more big things. And today we're talking about the strategy that he pursued or the strategies that he pursued, what enabled him to have all of this success, you know, all the hard work that was in there, but uh, more specific details, how to keep contractors happy, how to work with them, I also ask a, a question of Sakar that is one that I ask a lot of guys that are like him that reach this position, get away from their day job, don't need to work anymore. And then they uh, just voraciously continue working on their real estate portfolios. That question just fascinates me. Why do you do it? Why does he do it? We get into that today. Why not just go sit on a beach? You could. Why not do it? So we talk about that. You might be sitting... You might think about, uh, you know, retiring, going, sitting on a beach. And when you get there, you might find that you don't want to. And uh, it's good to listen to guys like Sakar who have that option and don't take it. Or don't take it like you uh, think people want. So, like the fantasy is. Super inspiring story. I first met Sakar. Kind of a long story, but I met him at a real estate networking event, Ultimate Partnering in Boston. I think it was in mid-2019. Uh, super nice guy. He's done very, very well for himself and just continues to do big things. And uh, there's a lot to be learned today. If you're somebody, a busy professional, you want to build a real estate portfolio and uh, you want to do it yourself. So Carl's a guy who did it and you can listen to how he did it to learn some strategies for yourself. For those of you who are new to the show, I'm your host, Taylor Boot. I'm the real estate investor, real estate syndicator. I buy real estate with passive investors and split the return. I love talking to Sakar and guys like Sakar, learning all these important lessons and uh, getting to ask questions that I think uh, don't get asked often enough. So without any further ado, here goes the interview. Sakar, thank you for joining us today. Sure. <laughs> I'm excited to continue talking with you. We've been talking here for 45 minutes already and uh, <laughs> met a couple of years ago. But uh, anyway, for the folks out there who don't know about you, don't know what you do, can you uh, introduce yourself a little bit? Tell us about your history. Sure, sure. Thank you for having me, Taylor. I appreciate it. And uh, my name's Sakar Kavle. I've, I'm an immigrant who came to this country a long time ago. Uh, I came specifically, I should say, in 1997. And uh, I did my MS at Clemson University and of course started the job and all that and within i think a couple of years um, you know i had the layoff and at that time is when i decided that hey my future should be in my hands and i gotta do something and wasn't sure what that something was but uh, back home uh, i'm from india and i have a bunch of lots uh, through my childhood i've seen my mom investing in lots and you know i have a good construction background in the family and things like that so real estate sort of was my natural pivot. 
kind of it goes that hey how can a common person with a modest means can invest in real estate in us that's probably a relevant question for probably 99.9% of the people right so the answer led me to saying hey you can invest in cash flowing rentals you know sure i mean you have wholesaling and some lease options there are other avenues as well but the safest option i thought was at the time was like cash flowing rentals and at the time i was living in northern virginia and for a job when i moved to baltimore area and of course as we know baltimore area is also a pretty much a good town for doing cash flowing rentals so there was sort of that luck or the stars aligned you can say so that's how the story started that was way back in 2000 at the time so i started you know buying one or two rentals three rentals four rentals and things like that so pretty soon i i had collected a good bit of rentals so they were cash flowing i had my job so i did my sort of my double gig for a very long time so so that's how it was so i started at this point we have well over close to 200 uh, rentals just with uh, no syndications nothing things like that and that 200 units is largely single family townhouses some single families and stuff like that and then some mid size uh, apartment buildings like six unit seven unit five unit that kind of thing and i probably have about uh, 12 duplexes and things like that so that's the collective portfolio that's that's pretty much all and then of course uh, as we were talking uh, i am a sponsor so i have general partnership and lp partnership in close to well over 700 uh, units uh, in texas florida and arkansas as well at this point so it's, it's a long road i mean i've learned a lot along the way so uh we can kind of discuss on the show uh, whichever way you like <laughs> sure i mean there's there's a lot to be learned right and a lot of years to cover and i'm sure we won't uh, we won't cover it all but you know <laughs> one of the things i'm I, i think about it especially when folks are starting to invest in real estate is they first question that comes up is where do i get the money right and a lot of busy sure. professionals you can put the money together right but how are you going to sure. put together the money on your own to buy 200 doors that's without syndication you bought them on your own so can you sure. tell us about the strategy that you pursued you know at least prior to getting into syndication sure 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 it's basically what people have come to known as a burr strategy you know like you're basically buying renovating renting it out and refinancing it that's kind of the long and short of it and it wasn't known at the time like that but the way i started initially was i was buying deals off of my own cash you know uh, i was an it employee so i had a lot of like uh, you know of course my wife was employed too so we had good bit of income and we were still renting at the time uh, in apartments so uh, we bought i think our three of our deals initially off of our own i mean these are only like $40,000 purchase we are putting another 20,000 into these things so we we definitely invested a serious uh, sum to begin with but then you know that as you described right you know how do you scale how do you kind of like then go on to bigger and better things right so some of my learnings were at the time was that to do you know to get to the next level you have to invest into good sort of properties and good like much better stronger neighborhoods and things like that that's where i felt the sort of the pinch that okay hey we got to have more money to do that stuff so i did you know like let's say borrowed money from private uh, hard money lenders and things like that and 
that's how we kind of scaled up. Then, you know, we would like maybe two houses, three houses initially, and then, you know, turn around, rent them, go refi at a local bank and things like that. So similar strategy that maybe a lot of investors uh, still do that today, you know, and once banks know that, hey, who's doing a good job, who's doing things right, you know, refinancing is not an issue, you know. Of course, as years roll by, people will learn that, yes, there are times like an 08 recession and things like that. A recession comes, next come is your credit crisis. Now we are in a sort of in a corona world. And we know, again, we are in a credit crisis, whether it's on the single family side or whether that's on the agency side, you see the lender reserves thrown in and things like that. They are all sort of, you know, indicative of that, hey, we want to slow down. We want to be, you know, extra sure that things are going to work the way we think they are going to work and let's have some safeguards in place. But to answer to your question, Taylor, it was initially to begin with, it was, pretty much, you know, through self-funding. Then as time went on, we, of course, you know, did some line of credit or took some money from, let's say, a hard money lender and things like that. So it's been always, I've been always been cash poor, that's for sure, because every time, you know, it was, <laughs> I'm putting down money in my rentals. <laughs> nice. So how did you balance the extreme time commitment of that portfolio with your day job at least back when you uh had the day job all those years ago that that is a very good question uh taylor because when i was at my day job i think it was all about my day job and real estate day job and real estate and one of my sort of great benefits or i've been fortunate to always have a good partner in my wife so what i do equally my wife does at, at an equal level you know so it's just not me. It's between me and my wife and having, of course, good, uh, good relationships, where, let's say, with the contractors and things like that. So it's really a teamwork. Sometimes I think if you are uh, just one person executing it, it, it really can get, uh, you know, uh, it can really get limiting, you know. But at the same time, to your answer, your question about time commitment, it was also about like every lunch hour, I would go to Home Depot because I would need something, you know, <laughs> it, I, I wasn't the guy that, okay, I'm sitting in the cafeteria and, you know, having a, a small talk over weather or stocks and things like that. I was always, Hey, when is it? 11.45, let me go hit uh, Home Depot and find out, okay, which tiles do I need or, you know, which colors I'm going to do or which uh, fixtures I'm going to uh, pick and things like that. So it was always sort of that rush, rush, rush. I mean, there were times when I would finish my job and I would come home and not even enter the door, but we would write out from the parking lot. We would go out uh, to, you know, tour different properties and things like that. So it is a big struggle because sometimes it's just not about the rehab and things like that. It's like going to the properties, you know, looking at stuff, you know, going back and forth, you're spending an hour just in the driving as well. So it's, it's a big time suck. And over the years, of course, I did that. And, you know, but as you build your team, one of the nice things that happens in all of this is also once you realize, okay, you need to buy in closer concentrations uh, and things like that. Once you pick good areas, you know, things tend to kind of work themselves out. Like you would have a local contractor who's working there. And if you have a problem, you can just tell them that, hey, listen, XNX has a problem, which is, you know, a couple of streets over. Could you go check it out? That kind of thing. So you're avoiding 
you going there or you checking on things and things like that so things tend to uh, you know sort of work themselves out as well but again initially it's it's a lot of hard work there's no sort of replacement for it you know nice so you mentioned about keeping contractors happy mm-hmm. how did you do that i mean do you have a specific strategy with it are you just a nice guy or do you have a uh, you know something you <laughs> did to do that no honestly i've i've just been a very straight up honest uh, easy working professional you know i wouldn't you know worry about you know hey something got scope creep or something went like let's say a couple hundred dollars over or 500 dollars over or uh, sometimes even thousands of dollars over i mean just to give you a very quick example is that you go in a house you're thinking hey this is just a paint job and things like that but when people are starting to paint they realize oh geez this house is covered with wallpaper all over the place and we didn't know the moment you start to paint you, you know you will see that hey you know the, the, all the wallpaper is like peeling off or it's like when the paint is drying you're seeing all those you know wavy buckles and things like that in that case you're on a very tough spot because you are you have no uh, option but to peel away that wallpaper and you know like treat the walls and repaint with whatever primer paint and things like that. that's just one example but there are many examples you can talk about on similar to, uh, lines where you know hey we didn't know the plumbing lines were bad like as bad as like sometimes if you get galvanized plumbing over the years you will find that a inch and a half line could be as bad as even like a small quarter inch line which results in a low pressure in all of uh, all of your fixtures electric you can say the things so things happen in renovations and you have to kind of understand and be flexible about it and that's where i think that's where the friction happens is that you're not realistic about you know what's happening and you know sometimes you have to have the empathy as well so i always like to have a reasonable bid and always understand that hey there's going to be issue there's going to be over overruns you know and once you have some trust in your contractors they are also trying to do as best as they can so they are not and and you can sometimes kind of make those things out you can like really identify that hey a contractor may be just trying to just do the job minimally and get away and things like that and we have had those experiences where contractor did the job but they did an okay job they really didn't do a good job and you know and i can see those patterns sometimes is that some specific houses have problems because some of those contractors went there and did the work that supposedly should have been done in a slightly better way you know but there's no magic wand honestly i mean you know just being very straightforward understand how it is you have to learn as well because you want to understand that someone is not really unnecessarily you know just trying to play fast on you and things like that so there's there's really no magic bullet it's it's learning being reasonable and sometimes you have to be strict as well but you know it comes with the territory i should say so what year, when was it that you bought the first one? I don't think we got that year in there. Sure. I mean, I started 2001, right? So 2001 was my first purchase and probably very quickly within eight months or so, I had four houses and I was still living at the apartment at the time. And then due to my green card process, I didn't buy for a lot of years. Like I started again, way back up in 2007 and things like that, you know? 
so there was that time period of uh, maybe four or five years that I was just maintaining what I had. And I didn't want to like, you know, grow too much, you know. But the good thing that happened was I skipped the uh, sort of since I was holding on to my rentals during 05, 06, there was, you know, all that run up that we talk about that led to, you know, the crash in it. So I kind of skipped that part. But when I kind of came back up uh, after my green card and started to buy, that's when I realized that, geez, the market has really precipitated and it's it's really a time to buy. And then that was sort of that fun time where I was like, you know, buying whatever, five, six, 10 houses a month. And I would have like four set of contractors uh, doing all these renovations and things like that. I mean, we went on, I mean, sometimes I look at my worksheets, my old worksheets, and we, we bought sometimes 12 to 14 houses a month sometimes, you know. Uh, and it was crazy because there was just so much of REOs or short sales. That's all you can see, you could see on the MLS, you know. So there was there was kind of a lot of, uh, uh, you know, in between years where, you know, I became a realtor just to be the guy in the front in negotiating the deals or be fast on the websites to kind of place your bids and things like that. So it took a lot of turns in between, but that's how the portfolio is right now, uh, you know, completely renovated, pretty much self-running. We, we don't get a lot of maintenance calls nowadays and things like that. So uh, I think now I'm seeing the fruits that, okay, I, I say expense ratios on my pro forma, but, I know firsthand that we are not spending that much. So it, that's helpful. And, and that also actually, honestly, Taylor, led to owning the property management by yourself because sometimes you just don't want to pay the funny fees that come with this for someone not doing that much of a job and things like that. So, you know, good and bad part of it that, hey, I mean, you know, good is that, sure, you, you, you know, the CapEx is very less now, but you get to like, you know, manage everything and kind of go through all of that as well on a daily basis. But that's, that, that comes with the bag, I guess. <laughs> Man, that's awesome. So, you know, presumably just based on those numbers you were saying, it kind of sounds mm-hmm. like you could have, you could have probably quit your job earlier than you did. Is that wrong? Is that close? Could you have? <laughs> You're right. You're absolutely right. In fact, I remember kind of joke about this all the time. My CPA said to me in 2014, actually, that Sakar, you could really quit your job now, you know? And I was like, really, Jeff? I said, let me think about it. So I ended up quitting in 2015. My wife actually had quit a few years before me. So I think she quit maybe around 2013 or stuff like that. So we could see the trend. We just couldn't see well enough because one of the things that happens also, Taylor, in all this is as you're building the portfolio, right? I mean, you see all these houses and stuff like that, but what you don't see sometimes is that, oh, you have so much of renovation credit card bills uh, sort of stacked up. Like, you know, sometimes I would have uh, renovation debt as high as like 80 to 100K uh, cumulatively on all this. Because, you know, let's say if you're renovating that many houses, right? So you're constantly playing in and out. I mean, I have walked out of closing tables well over 100K in cash, you know, uh, out of closing on, on the refis and stuff like that. But you turn around, you pay a bunch of bills that whatever, 100, 120K turns into a 20K uh, net, you know. So that's how things happen. And, you know, folks who have built the portfolios, they all can relate to these things where, you know, first year or two are very tough sort of on your uh, project because you just did a big rehab and you spent all this money. You're like, you're way up the hill 
And as, you know, things slowly, you know, even out, that's when you see a good cash flow, your sort of expenses are normalizing all of your outflow that you would have had to, let's say, hard money lenders and things like that. Let's say if you're, uh, you know, getting money at 12%, 14%, 15% from your hard money lenders, you're borrowing some serious cash. So that also interest payments that you are doing, I mean, I'll say it here. I mean, sometimes I have paid just on the hard money interest, I have paid well over 125, 140K just on the hard money interest sometimes, you know? So all those things kind of play out. And once you refi, you have your normal cash flow coming in and you have refied. So your debt uh, is also lower and things like that. So all of those things are in flight. So as you're building that portfolio, right? I mean, technically, yeah, you can say that, oh, geez, I see these many houses, but really it takes once you build that, it probably like your performance lags by a couple of years till you're seeing, oh, geez, you're now you're seeing it. Now you're seeing it, you know, as always say that, right? You know, as let's say Warren Harnish in the classic uh, Rockefeller habit books, you know, he'll, he'll talk about scaling up, right? Growth sucks cash. And when I read that book, it was like, it was a home run to me. It's like, Oh geez, I I better I know that like you know like growth sucks cash. <laughs> I said I, I know that for sure, and that's the point is that yeah you can say I was able to quit much earlier as well, but to really feel yourself comfortable, you probably say hey let me feel this out for another year or so you know. But when some one of your regular CPS says something to you, you know it's it's very interesting and and, and on a related note, Taylor. I was filing my real estate professional tax status for as long as I can remember, you know, <laughs> and, but now in the syndication world and a lot of my, the heavy tech professional, hybrid professional, they struggle to get that uh, status. And now I feel that, oh, geez, I mean, you were on this whole bandwagon for such a long time that you don't even realize, but now it's like ringing true uh, all these things that, hey, how you can get the maximum tax deductions and things like that. And, and it's very true that it's very much possible to pay or not pay any tax at all. And I mean, I've done that for years, but it, that's the sort of the ultimate goal, you should say, you know, uh, but hey, I mean, I've done real estate for so many days, uh, you know, so let's almost 20 years now that a lot of these things feel natural to me, but that's been a byproduct of how much I've done. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that comfort comes with time. Now, sure. um, before we you know, take a break and move on to my questions I ask every guest, I got to ask you, sure. you, know, <laughs> you left the job, you could retire. Sure. Why not? I mean, this is a common thread. I talk to a lot of folks who are in mm -hmm. a similar boat to you that, mm -hmm. especially mm -hmm. real estate investors, get to a point where they mm -hmm. can leave their job and mm -hmm. then they leave the job, but they keep working on their real estate portfolio, keep building. Why? Mm -hmm. Why are you doing that? Sure, sure. I think it's a human tendency, right? I mean, I always say this, that you are a quarterback of your own life, whether that's your real estate or what you typically want to do in your, like, let's say the life or the family or things like that, right? So for me, professionally, it's all about, how can you do better and next level? Can someone be just happy and keep the portfolio as they have? The answer is yes. I mean, I know plenty of my friends and landlords who have, 
I mean, I, I own, let's say, 200, but I know many landlords who are just playing golf or going uh, every other month to, uh, you know, Turkas and Caicos or uh, Barbados and things like that. And they're happy with their portfolio. So there's nothing wrong in it. It's, it's really about what someone has goals for themselves. For me, I think the idea is that, hey, I want to scale bigger and better. I have so much of experience. I own property management and construction company. So I want to apply that experience and kind of see the assets, invest in multifamily. That's, that's kind of my goals. But can I just not do all of that and just kind of sit around and, you know, maybe play squash or do something else or play golf and things like that. Can I do it? Sure, I can, you know. So it's it's all a perspective. It's all about goals and things like that. I'm just kind of being in such a way the whole time is that, hey, I want to like, you know, do bigger and better things, you know, like before even like we didn't get to talk about, but I had uh, pretty much signed up to do a swimming franchise as well, which was in the works for last two years, you know. Uh, so we're kind of going through all of that as well. So I like to do things. It's just not that, hey, I don't want to be. And I found that out about myself after much, uh, uh, you know, sort of nudging from my wife and saying, hey, why you like to do stuff? You know, why can't you just be? <laughs> so I, that's that's the way I'm built. <laughs> well, just to, to break the fourth wall a little bit here for the listeners, so you can get a, a flavor of this. It is a Friday at 6.07 p.m. when we're talking. It's Friday, Friday night. <laughs> and Sakar like, doesn't need to work, let alone be talking to you or me. And uh, that's what he's doing here on Friday night. So the proof is in the pudding right now. We're going to take a quick break for our sponsor. All right, Sakar, I've got three questions I ask every guest on the show. Are sure. you ready? <laughs> Absolutely. All Go right. fight away. <laughs> First one, what is the best investment you ever made other than in your education? Sure. So I think the best in education that I made, Taylor, I think is just learning and what it takes to be on that next level. It's not about your formal coaching or your education or your mentor and things like that. I think sometimes it comes down to is that you're learning like, maybe like a fire hose initially, or then sometimes you're learning the nuances. And a lot of times, I, to me, it, I feel I'm very passionate about networking as well. Like you learn or you pick up things from other people as to how they are doing and things like that. So I like that networking element as well. So as I think years progressed, I found myself to be uh, kind of a eager networker of sorts, whether that means that I'm taking experienced folks to a coffee or even uh, as you know, I do my podcast. So I like to, you know, interview like some guests that I really enjoyed and I would like to, you know, know more about them and things like that. Uh, sure. You can like maybe invest in better neighborhoods, have learn about houses and things like that, all of that as well. But I think as years have gone by, I feel that I think aligning with a lot more people who are better and smarter than you that tends to be kind of that but as also the years have gone by i've kind of learned that yes there is a lot more to life than just the investments because as you can imagine i've spent so much time into just real estate real estate real estate so i've kind of uh, sometimes at the cost of my family or kids i have you know kind of uh, keep kept those things on back seat as well so i like to say that hey Keeping those things also in harmony and balance is also one of the greatest investments you can make. You know, 
Nice. Nice. We had the best investment. Now we go to the worst investment. What is the worst investment you ever made? <laughs> I think sometimes spending time, in my opinion, on things that would not work out, whether that means you're just like, you know, buying bad properties or just aligning with aligning with wrong people and things like that. Uh, things that don't align to your values and you can put a lot of things into that. Uh, I think if they don't fit in your box, I would say just stay away. And I've done some of that sometimes that I've kind of drifted away into whether that's uh, meeting those people and still like, you know, doing those things on a consistent basis and not, still not feeling right about that. And I, I feel that those are not really your best uh, use of your time and things like that. And it's it's better not to do some of that. I mean, and, and you can go on. I mean, you can put people, things, houses, whatever you want to call all of that. And And I'm a big proponent of like, get monkeys off your back, whether that means you're apologizing to someone or making a phone call or writing a letter and things like that. Uh, I think th those are the key things that I think uh, the lesser you have, the better it is. It's just not about the worst. It's also about sometimes I feel that something that keeps on holding you back or you have a grudge or you regret something. It's some of that too as well. It's just not about the worst. And I I mean, I've made a lot of like crazy investments, worse houses, worse neighborhoods, that kind of thing. So, but it again comes down to that, hey, what would have been nice? I mean, it didn't align with my values or I, I kind of aligned with some groups before and I didn't feel right. And I kind of scaled back and now I feel great. You know? <laughs> well, my favorite question here at the end of the show is what is the most important lesson that you've learned in business and investing? It's a long game. I think maintaining your uh, sort of your quality, integrity, and your ethics uh, is always, I think, the paramount. Sometimes we talk about you know, all the returns, the deals and things like that. I think the long-term players know this very well, is that it's not about the money. It's not about everything. Sure, you're doing things right and all that. But at the end of the day, are you doing your best? You know, are you putting your best effort? And that's what keeps me motivated all the time. And I, I think I like to focus on all of that. And those are the like the key takeaways I take that all the time is that just maintain your integrity, do the best you can and give your best, you know. I love it. Well, Sakar, thank you for joining us today. It's been great reconnecting with you. If folks want to get in touch, they want to find your podcast, if they want to learn more, where can they do that? Absolutely. So people can find and learn more about me at premiumcashflow.com. Uh, as you know, I host a podcast uh, which is focused on multifamily syndications and you know how passive people can invest uh, in multifamily properties as well. So that premiumcashflow.com would be uh, the place to go. If someone wants to kind of drop me an email and things like that, just write me to info at premiumcashflow.com. It's a great URL, premiumcashflow.com. I love it. I love it. <laughs> well, thank you for joining us once again. To everybody out there, thank you for tuning in. If you're enjoying the show, please leave us a rating and review on Apple Podcasts. It's very much appreciated and it helps other people learn about the show. If you know anyone who could use a little bit more passive wealth in their lives, please share the show with them and bring them in.
to try. Also, we are live streaming on YouTube now. So if you want to join into the conversation live and catch us as we're recording these episodes, look up Passive Wealth Strategies on YouTube. Subscribe, hit the notification bell, and all that great stuff that the uh, YouTube stars say to do. Thanks for tuning in once again. I hope you have a great rest of your day and a great week, and we'll talk to you on the next one. Bye-bye.